This is a podcast brought to you by Tourism Geographies, an international journal of tourism, space, place, and environment, published by Taylor and Francis. In 2022, Tourism Geographies was ranked second in Scopus Site Score Tracker in the subject areas Tourism, Leisure, and Hospitality Management, and secondly in Geography, Planning, and Development. In 2023, it's on track to be number one with a site score of 24.4 as at 5th of August 2023. We have joining with us Clifford Lewis. Clifford is a tourism scholar in Australia that looks at LGBT tourism research in rural communities. Welcome Clifford, how are you today? Hey, thanks Safia, thanks for having me. Nice. Tell me a bit about yourself and what is your research about? So we're going to be interviewing you basically based on some of the research you've done throughout on your contributions to tourism and geographies. And recently you did an article, Intersectional Examination of Travel Wellbeing and Activities of LGB Travellers. Could you give us a bit of a background of your research and specifically on the article? Definitely. Look, I come from an industry background uh, in terms of research. So I finished my PhD and I went into industry working, consulting and tourism marketing for almost all, I think, uh, tourism bodies in Australia besides Western Australia and Queensland. So given that practical side, I've tried to sort of take it into a lot of the work I do. And coming from that practical side, you know, I noticed there was a bit of a gap in terms of rural tourism in the literature. I also noted there was a bit of gap in rural LGBT experiences in the literature. So that's what got me quite interested in in that. And, you know, integrating LGBT, given my own identity as as a gay man, uh, and integrating that with my interest in tourism scholarship and rural tourism scholarship, I sort of started working on this idea about what role does travel play for rural LGBT people in Australia. Now, you know, oftentimes I get asked, well, why tourism and LGBT, right? Like there are some very serious and important topics of LGBT research like health, HIV, well-being, uh, and a whole bunch of other things. But what got me intrigued and interested in this angle of tourism is, well, the one thing that unites all LGB people, people with a diverse sexual orientation, and also possibly people with a diverse gender identity, is this need to come out about their identity, right? It's this need to, at some point in their life, have to say to someone, I am gay, or I am lesbian, or I am this. And that's a very vulnerable moment. But before we can get to that vulnerable moment and pronounce it with a level of confidence, we need to know for ourselves. And that knowing for ourselves comes from travel. When we travel, as a solo traveler, particularly, you can go to a place and just be yourself. Like I remember back uh, when I was younger, I went to London and no one knew me there. I could go to the gay clubs. I could meet other gay people and I could just be myself without having to worry about people looking at me. Because there's always that fear about people looking at you and judging you. But when when you're traveling, you can do it in a place where no one knows you. Now, going back to rural travel, Rural communities in Australia, like, yes, I know Australia is relatively more accepting. We've got uh, same-sex marriage, you know, it's it's, anti-discrimination laws are well embedded. But still, rural rural LGBT people experience some really unique challenges in rural communities. Like, I've spoken to people who've said to me, well, after I came out, you know, there was 
graffiti with the word faggot spray painted over my house, you know, my, 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 the front door of my house. And those are real experiences that happen. Now, I'm not saying that rural Australia is homogeneously prejudiced, but there is that, you know, there are these stories, there are these experiences. And as long as there are these experiences, there will always be the challenge of these stories perpetuating. So I've had other, you know, in other studies I've done in rural Australia, I've had people say to me, well, there is no gay community in this town. And I've challenged them and I've said, what do you mean by that? You know, they said, oh, there are no gay people in this town and I'm the only gay person. But I know that there are actually gay communities in that town. And this perception of there is no one out there comes from a need to hide, this need to disassociate because you're, you know, it can be quite confronting to be yourself and be challenged and experience that prejudice by yourself. Right. So there is this perception. There are these realities in rural communities. Uh, at the same time, yes, there are some really cool and inclusive rural communities that, uh, you know, I've got a straight friend who lives in a town called Braidwood and she tells me she's the only straight person in the town. Right. So there are the other side as well. But when we think about travel experiences, of course, they're so diverse and they're so diverse because of where people are coming from and where they can go. Now, when we think about going to the paper, we were quite interested to see how travel contributed differently to different people, given the value of travel to queer identity in terms of finding yourself. And once you find yourself, you can be yourself and enjoy the well-being benefits. Given the importance of that, we wanted to look at does everyone experience it the same way or are there differences fundamentally? Right. And what we realize is there are diff five different ways people experience well-being outcomes or queer people experience well-being outcomes from travel. Now, let's nuance that further. When we think about intersectionality, all our lives in some degree or in some way can take on an intersectional perspective, right? Like I am a brown person. I am a gay male, right? So in terms of being brown and gay, that can be uh, an intersectional identity in terms of me being exposed to prejudice people might have towards brown people, towards being people who are gay, but experiencing it more because I am brown and gay. Right. And that challenges or that changes how you can access tourism. We know time and time again that, you know, tourism is is in many ways a privilege, which it shouldn't be because it's it's relegated or only certain parts of society can access it. At the same time, there is this weird perception and I have no idea where it comes from. Well, I do, but it just is bizarre that all gay people are rich or all you know gay and lesbian people are rich. This idea. Right. So what we wanted to look at is how do differences in people's socioeconomic status and being gay really play out in this context of the well-being they get from tourism? And what we found there were significant differences based on education, based on socioeconomic variables like income and employment, right? Those, of course, who were, who were able to, who were rich, were able to travel overseas or had, I shouldn't call them rich, they had a greater level of income, were able to travel overseas. On the other hand, you know, those who are, less well off would not have a stable job typically who are also older as one of our segments were they can't really they don't have that luxury of going overseas for them domestic tourism is really what helps right going to another place in australia and that really has implications for how tourism experiences are constructed be they overseas or be they in australia because you know these people can't escape and go overseas they're escaping from their hometown maybe to another place in australia and tourism operators need to try and consider those different identities in terms of building those experiences for queer people. 
Yeah, and that's very interesting that you mentioned tourism industry and how they perceive and probably how they could accommodate the different markets, specifically for um, the LGBT community and those intersectionalities as well. You picked up on something very interesting that I also looked at within the paper that really touched on the social class, especially how that may um, translate into some of the offerings or some of the um, experiences or activities this specific tourism market may indulge in. Could you give us a bit more insight in terms of what were some of the different activities or different types of um, industries? Because I think most people obviously tend to look at LGBT tourism as, oh, these people are just going to have fun. So there was a pride parade in London recently, you know, so they would come in droves there or they would go to Burning Man and so forth. Are there any specific activities geographically that you think, even for the industry, that they should be a bit more mindful of in terms of accommodating this market? Yeah, I think fundamentally there are as travelers, LGB consumers, LGB, mm. and I, I use the, the letters LGBQ because uh, mm. been gay, bisexual, queer, mm-hmm. I, I w- would not be comfortable concluding about trans because we did not really have that in our sample as such, you know, okay. but uh, when I look at, and I would, you know, I would also hypothesize similar things with trans community, but I, I should be cautious of making conclusions. When we look at gay travelers, of course, there is that need for things that everyone else experiences. Like when I travel, I experience, I, I like to go, as I said, you know, shared with you uh, earlier, like I just came back from the US a couple of weeks ago. I went to Vegas and did the things people do in Vegas, right? Mm. And there is that need for those mainstream activities. But there's also that need for identity things. Like when I went to Vegas, I also went to a gay club, right? Proportionately, I would have probably spent maybe one evening at the gay club, you know, three evenings checking out all the casinos, the shows, the 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 the, the pubs, and all that kind of stuff, right? So, where identities can have different roles in people's lives and different and different occupy different positions of centrality in people's life, right? There are some people who do travel who for that excitement and that thrill. Uh, and I think from from memory, this was typically in our study, younger people who had a bit more affluence. Older people who do not have that tend to travel, you know, for different purposes. And we've got to keep in mind where they're coming from as well, right? Like our cluster one was relatively older and underprivileged. Now, most older people have had some significant experiences of stigma in their lives because the world is only now waking up to LGB people being in some ways, you know, I'm sort of also thinking about uh, air quotes here, in some ways part of society. So these older Mm -hmm. people have experienced significant stigma, discrimination, challenge towards their identity. You know, of course, now, you know, in in our study, they were a bit older. And for them, I think what we found was they were more interested in mainstream activities than queer activities, because they might not look at queer activities as a way of expressing their queer identity. Right. So this this idea about what kind of experiences people want really is on that spectrum of what they can afford, you know, their age, because the age dictates stigma and the burdens and the baggage they're carrying. And also how important or central this queer identity is to them. Like, you know, there are people I know who, you know, like I'd like to think that in my case, I'm an academic who enjoys, you know, surfing, who likes to go to the gym or whatever. And I happen to be gay as well. 
as opposed to I'm gay who happens to be an academic. Right? Mm-hmm. So it's not that central to me, and therefore the activities I pursue are different compared to someone who it is a bit more central for. Thanks for that. And just to bring in more of the context of the well-being, what were some of the key takeaways in terms of how um, travel actually related or actually encouraged or enhanced their sense of well-being, especially when it's linked to that sense of feeling comfort and welcome and not necessarily accepted, but not feeling like, you know, they're set apart from someone else or marginalized in a sense? So I'll give you a two-part answer to this. And, you know, part of it is about identity, affirmation, expression, and all of that, right? So when you travel, you're able to express your your identity the way you see yourself, not the way society wants to see you. And what happens oftentimes, what we found uh, is there can be a role of compensation where mm-hmm. I can't really express my identity at home but it's important to me, therefore I try to fulfill it when I travel. And by being able to express that identity, you're sort of uh, in some ways uniting the way you feel and the way you see yourself and the way you're presenting yourself to the world, right? You're taking away all those layers of burdens and camouflage you've had to deal with. And that can have definitely well-being implications because you're not stressing. Imagine living your life at home on a day-to-day basis and constantly having to stress, oh, I better not act like that. You know, people might judge me. Oh, I better watch my behavior. I better watch the way I, what I say. All right. So you're not really having to deal with that stress and that can be quite liberating. Now, we know a lot of research that talks about the role of connectedness that travel enables. Like, you know, you go to another country, you might meet LGBT people from there. You might form social bonds, have great experiences. Now, there are theories that talk about how having those experiences and those connections actually help build resilience towards prejudice because now you've got your community. Mm. You know, some other theories talk about how having your community actually helps you integrate with mainstream society better because you feel that there are people who've got your back regardless. So travel can have such a profound impact on well-being, which is what makes me so excited about this topic, Afia. And within this study in particular, we found the second part of my answer, uh, Mm -hmm. different types of well-being to different types of people, right? Mm -hmm. So well-being, there are many ways to conceptualize well-being. We used one of them. And we found, you know, different segments and clusters uh, experience well-being in different ways. So those, you know, of course, with higher economic status in our, which was one of our clusters, had a higher well-being level and traveled more compared to others. You know, mm-hmm. those, uh, you know, who had employment situations that diverged from the traditional full-time models. So they might have had a moderate income level. Uh, they appeared to travel less. And that sort of, in some ways, was also demonst- was demonstrated in their well-being levels that they ex- experienced from travel. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I like the intersection of how well-being um, sort of relates to some of those different cl- clusters. And I'm sure um, when you actually read through the paper, there's a lot of different um, actual variables that that is unpacked in, in, in that specific element. Is there anything else you would like to share specifically on, on this article before we kind of switch gears in, in the interview? Certainly. I think, uh, you know, the thing that I'd like to to share is just the diversity within LGBT, 
you know, and I'm mm. using the T and Q and I and all the letters. Very yeah. often, I think because of the acronym LGBTQ, the world started perceiving LGBT people as being very similar. But mm. the reason why that acronym exists is because we were fighting for our rights, right? So mm. having more people in the group meant that we had a louder voice compared to having individual groups. But also what that means is everyone's experiences are different. Uh, everyone's identities are different. Every The way people live up queer identities are completely different. Like me who lives, you know, in a city in Australia has a very different relationship to my queer identity compared to someone who lives in the Middle East, right, who cannot be themselves, cannot express themselves, might never have heard the word gay in their life. And that has implications for how we travel and what we're seeking from travel. And, you know, I, I believe travel does play a very important role in that identity because it provides that escape. Like I know gay men in, in the Middle East who have kids, right? And they've been able to adopt children, which is amazingly beautiful. But the only time they can be a family is when they're away from the Middle East, because otherwise in the Middle East, that would be challenging. So travel mm -hmm. has such an enormous power to help impact the lives of poor people. I think the biggest question I'd like to pose to everyone is how do we make it more accessible for everyone? Because, mm -hmm. you know, our domestic, uh, one of our clusters who didn't have much money, older, you know, of course, that does have implications for how and where you can go and how and where you can express yourself. Uh, so how do we really try and make that travel more uh, open, I suppose, for, for, for different people uh, so they can access the same spaces? That's lovely and, and a good segue into my next question, which is, is there any um, research projects that's currently in, in your pipeline that you would like to tell us about? Anyone you're collaborating with? Gosh, I'm involved in some work in India, which I find superly fascinating. Uh, and I find it challenging at multiple levels, but it's amazing. Well, I'm saying it's amazing because it's my work. Yeah. But 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 what but what I mean by that is this, right? Like I come from India, so I'm brown. Mm -hmm. I come from India. I've never, unfortunately, I've never had the opportunity to live much in India. But it's only very recently that in India, queer people have won the right to not be criminal, right? So until now, you could go to jail just for being gay. Uh, and it's it's only very recently that uh, that section of the law was repealed. And it's amazing because what's happened since, of course, there is a gay community in India. You know, of course, there are pride events that are beginning to emerge, you know, and the gay community is going through this stage of trying to define themselves. Allies are coming forward and being a bit more open. But this is all happening within a very complex backdrop. You've got mm. to remember, we've got the caste system. In India, we've got different religions which occupy different minority and you know statuses. We've got a higher sense of conservatism in India, you know. So you've got this liberation movements happening at the same time as all these different variables are going on. We have different languages in India. We have different cultures. When you go from north to south, which impact acceptance in India, and it's it's just providing this beautiful place to sort of understand understand these issues. You know, what we're finding in the work so far, interestingly to me, it's been a lot easier to speak to trans people than LGB people. Mm. And I don't want to try and like explain that in any you know concrete way. But India has had chakas who are third gender. And therefore, I assume that, you know, that 
that people of diverse genders are more likely to feel comfortable than LGB people. And I'm totally mm. assuming this here, but it's been amazing to see that come through uh, in the way people have been contributing in terms of uh, the findings so far. Oh, thank you for sharing that. And it's very interesting because, again, obviously we're talking on tourism geographies here. You highlighted some challenges or shortcomings in the Australian context, in your travel context to the US or um, to the UK. And there are definitely some myths, I guess, that, that we tend to break. And, and this is very good that you as a researcher are, are contributing to sort of myth-breaking um, along the way. So uh, I give you your flowers for that. And again, I would like to acknowledge that you've been in both industry and in research uh, as an academic for quite a, a bit of time. So I, I do look at you as a senior academic, but do you have any wise words for early career researchers, PhD students upcoming, especially those that are studying tourism and that intersection of ge geography as well? Oh, I wouldn't consider myself a senior academic. Athlete. Mm -hmm. I think it implies a power distance. I never want to go down. But <laughs> my my humble suggestion is I'd love to see more scholarship on LGB stuff because I believe in the power of tourism, recreation and helping that identity. But that comes at a cost, right? And I think the cost for me has been I could never get a job back home because of my research. You know, because I grew up, as I said earlier, at some point, I suppose I grew up in the Middle East and I could never get a job in the Middle East, given my, my CV has got a lot of LGB stuff on it. So it does come at a cost and the scholarship does come, you know, with with that cost. But it also comes with the beauty of seeing it being implemented, the beauty of seeing, hoping that, you know, someone takes notice and helps change lives. So I suppose what I'm suggesting I to younger scholars or those coming into academia is, well, you know, it does come at a cost, but it's also a lot of beauty in it. And it's important to find ways to disseminate this stuff beyond uh, just traditional journals, because it mm -hmm. can take a while for industry to pick up. So one of my pet projects has always been actually working with industry to implement stuff that I'm doing, because then you start seeing you know, the excitement from it, right? You start seeing like, uh, I know there are some pride events organized in Australia, which have supported in rural communities. And the excitement to see queer people, especially younger queer people at these events, like I remember one, which will always stay with me for the rest of my life, of this 13 year old, she would have been 13, 13, 14, uh, maybe, maybe at most 15. I'm definitely sure she wasn't older than 15. Came running, I was talking to her mum, came running up and goes, mum, I've got friends here. And in my mind, I'm going, it's a small town. What do you mean? Like, you know, you, surely you've got friends here because it's a small town. And I was coming at it from a city perspective, right? Like, uh, you know, when you're in a small town, everyone knows everyone. So surely you have friends here. But what her mother explained to me after, what she meant was, well, I actually don't know any lesbian people in my school. And there are other lesbian people my age here. And in her school, she was getting called tranny. So this was the first time as a young lesbian girl, she was able to hang out with other people her age and experience her identity in the fullness and beauty that it provided, right? Or oh. one of the first times close to home. So there is so much benefit and value recreation and tourism can bring, especially when you see your findings and your research being implemented. Most definitely. That's probably a life-changing experience as well. 
Thank you for sharing that moment. So to conclude in the spirit of Tourism Geographies community, we like to connect obviously agents of knowledge, exchange, and encourage that humanizing of the tourism and geographic research landscape. So I would like to leave one of these questions, and this was actually left by Stephanie Benjamin, uh, a good friend of yours, <laughs> um, being part of the Reset Group. So Stephanie recently read a novel called um, Rest and Resistance, and her, I guess, philosophy as a, a, a academic is sort of pushing uh, this narrative of, you know, we need to rest a bit more. So the question she left with you is, what are you doing to rest? How are you disrupting the system to use rest as a form of resistance? What are your thoughts? <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> uh, well, what do I, what am I doing to rest? My my partner says I've got a I've got a museum of recreation because <laughs> I go through hobbies a lot. So I like learning new hobbies. Yeah. Uh, at the moment, I'm learning how to sketch. Uh, you know, but yeah. So like uh, during COVID, I learned how to knit. Uh, then I've been learning to play the ukulele. Now it's it's catching. So I go through hobbies a lot, but I do have some hobbies that are really important to me. And I remember a story that someone once told me. I don't know how accurate this is, so I won't take any any responsibility. But I think it was about George W. Bush Jr., who was asked when was the time that he felt he wasn't a president, and he spoke about when he was mountain biking, because oh. he's like he was so focused on like you know not dying that he forgot he was the president. Right. Oh. And I think I take that view in terms of when I go out on my paddleboard or when I'm surfing and I'm in the ocean, like my 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 brain's completely switched off. And all I'm thinking about is don't look like a fool for those watching you from the show. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm sure you experience a lot of fluid air. That's interesting. <laughs> well, Clifford, thank you so much. And I do wish um, your your future research endeavors uh, do eventuate, not just obviously to to research impact in 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 terms of publications, but also in terms of the lives of um, young and senior LGB um, communities across the the world or globally. And I thank you so much for your time. Any thank you, Effia. Parting words before we end. <laughs> well, it's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, I think this is such a cool initiative to get uh, research out there and make it more accessible, and beyond just research, make researchers more personable and accessible. So, thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you to our guests, and thank you, our dear listeners, for joining us on this episode of the Tourism Geographies Podcast. We look forward to you tuning in to the next episode. I am a fear holder. Bye for now.